Welcome back to Agents of Cool. Today, there will be music, dancing, and happiness, by order, as we return to the village and the world of the prisoner for the episode Dance of the Dead. Welcome back to the Agents of Cool. I am Eric, as always, your grumpy number six, joined by... Stacy And Ray. And today, we were returning to uh, the, the Prisoner. We're looking at the episode, The Dance of the Dead. Now, it is my understanding that the episode order is still a subject of some controversy in the Prisoner fan community. That the episodes, uh, that the order they were written, the order they were produced, the order they were broadcast, what order they're supposed to be in is still a subject of some debate. The deal is, I have the A&E box set, so uh, I'm going with the order the box set presents them. And as far as I can tell, for at least the first batch of episodes, they all sort of function in that way. Like, if this is your first episode of The Prisoner, you can kind of get uh, the basics from any given episode. So for some of these, I don't think it matters a whole bunch. What order you watch them in? Uh, yeah, I noticed. Yeah, just looking at the notes over here is like the production code on this episode is apparently four, which would make it the fourth fourth one filmed, I guess. Uh, I mean, I noticed there's kind of like some of the early ones, you know, are very much the prisoner running headlong into the you know into the walls of his cage, and you know basically just coming you know com coming up very short, and you know, and I think that's as much you know where the audience getting whacked in like nope. Is he ain't getting out in one episode. There's not a convenient end to this. Uh, in terms of just setting, you know, setting the, the kind of the feel there. This one kind of has that same feel, but I think number six is maybe a little less phased in this one than say in some of the previous ones. And just you know the the visible frustration and such on 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 you know on the prisoner's face on number six's face when he when this happens, you know, is, is almost palpable. Whereas, you know, the, just the frustration and the rage, whereas, you know, I think in this one is maybe somewhat less of that. At least it's not quite the same, just absolute raw fury we've seen in some of the other ones at, uh, at his situation. Not that he's not still resisting. I get the impression I get in this one is he has at least a better idea that of, of how the game is, you know, how the game is played here. Or, or at least starting to tumble the, to the fact that there is a game being played. Yeah, and I well, and I think well, and we can get I, we, I guess we may, you know, and we can get kind of into we get into the details because there's a couple things to my mind that like okay, he, some of the stuff he tries I don't know if he expects it to work or not, um, but it's might as well try. Yeah, uh, or at the very least, it's not um, he, he's not he's not putting it doesn't look like he's putting all of his hopes on what he is trying, um, as it were. But possibly a summary of a summary might be in order for the uh, for for the kids listening at home these days. All right, let's get to it. So we we start with our uh, with that slam bang opening, which I think I'm on record as being uh, one of my very favorite TV openings, maybe one of the greatest TV openings ever. Walking down the hallway, looking so pissed off, he's looking like he might have a stroke, like just furious. And the uh, now we get uh, as as usual, we get the uh, the new number two is now in the title sequence. This week's number two 
is part of the title sequence. And, I'll, and this is a personal note I want to throw in here. Uh, number two this week, actress, I think her name was Mary Moses, reminds me very strongly of my high school art teacher. Mary, uh, Mary Morris. Mary Morris. I'm sorry. It was Mary Morris. Mary Morris reminded me a lot of my high school art teacher, Susan Meston. Yeah, and I think Mrs. Meston would have been uh, entirely, I think she would have been entirely amused by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, God rest her soul, I loved her, loved her a great deal. She was terrific. It's, we, we're, we're, we start on number six's apartment. It's nighttime, it's after dark. So it's the village after dark. You see some guys in lab coats enter. They are observed from the command center by a, a, a mad scientist who kind of looks like a very old Matt Smith. He looks well. He's more uh, of an irked and annoyed scientist. I wouldn't say he's mad. I mean, he's he's he's, he's maybe a little bit put out and just generally aggravated. But I, it doesn't seem like you know furious or anything. I was thinking mad scientist in your classical sort of doing ungodly experiments kind of deal, not necessarily his emotional state. So he's running an experiment on six. He go in there. Six is in his pajamas, laid out in his bed, and they hook wires and electrodes and a headband up to six and whatnot. And uh, someone else in the village command center is looking at our mad scientist, and he's like, "Should you should you be doing this? We don't want to da- the, the the litany we've heard before. We don't want to damage him. We need him intact, right?" Yeah, so, and, I, um, I, and I kind of got the impression this wasn't so much fully as experimental as just a technique they'd used to reasonable effect in the past, albeit somewhat destructively, and that they he was just like, "Well, we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll use this to get it out of him, and like we've done all these other people and." You know, it probably won't damage him that much. But yeah, whereas the the other guy is like, I just like, no, no, he's not supposed to be damaged. We can't damage him. We can't, you know. Which that's that's always kind of the you know one of the conceits is why they don't use you know why didn't they just you know basically pump him full of drugs and or because well they 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 have some they something in mind for him afterwards. Want him in fact. Yeah. So um, they, they specifically want him on their side voluntarily. Yeah, they want him yeah. to acquiesce, not you know in in a way they want him to acquiesce willingly. Not just basically because of whatever super tech, you know, uh, MK Ultra esque technique they have used to just simply, you know, break his mind. So they give Six a phone in his apartment, and in the command center they give another man a phone and a man who looks like he's maybe not in a good way, like they've literally got to lift up his hand and put the phone in his hand. And this man and tell him what to say and tell him what to say. He's not in a good way. They put the the phone in his hand. They tell him what to say. We find out his name is Dutton. Dutton is telling uh, Six that you know we've we've got to, we've got to talk. You know, go ahead and go ahead and go ahead and just say it before. And Six, even through mind control, practically seethes. Even yeah, won't talk. He's seething with anger. Even under mind control, won't spill. No matter what. Now, at this so, point, the new number two or I, turns up mm-hmm. and kind of puts a stop to them pushing any further because I kind of get the impression, you know, that the that the, the scientist was just going to dial it up to, you know, 11 and just try to push on through. Right. Uh, you know, the sign, you know <laughs> damn the synapses full speed ahead. Exactly. But you're right. Number two puts a stop to it, and she says this, he must be won over. I don't want him broken. He must be won over. This man has a future with us. Some people think number six at this point in the series is literally number one. I don't think he's literally number one at this point. I think they're, I think they're lining him up to be number one. Is my pet theory at this point. Well, that I mean, given 
the later revelations uh, in Blow Up about what number one is. I mean, I think they're lining up. To, I, I think they're lining up to be a very useful asset in whatever game they're playing, which whatever is playing. which is crucially, crucially, crucially never really defined and is not particularly relevant to this. And I'm, you know, thankfully we, you know, thankfully nobody's ever discussed doing well the prequel to the village or something like that, where we fill in all the gaps and what rover is and any of that sort of stuff. Right. Because that would be exceptionally unnecessary. Yeah, the fact that rovers seem to spawn from some sort of mass underneath the sea is... I mean, okay, if you want to do a okay. H.P. Lovecraft pastiche and they're basically Shoggoths, sure. But other than that... <laughs> but that would not be canonical. But, I mean, crucially... I mean, what is it? They had, like, yeah, they had, like, a giant mechanical thing that kept breaking down, so they used, like, weather balloons, which are kind of creepy, frankly. And then, and then there was that. Then there was that one moment a couple episodes, an episode ago, where they were uh, guys in a cave in sunglasses controlling it mentally or something like that. Right. Yeah. See, little things like that that are never explained. You don't know what the heck's going on. You see, that, that's the, that's the kind of moment where I think stuff like that makes this show kind of what it is. Uh, you mentioned a second ago the idea of a prequel that like fills in all the blanks, and I'm like, God save the person that ever tries. It. Because it, it kind of defeats the, in my opinion, would defeat the entire point. Oh, of this. absolutely. There's there's space here where I think what makes this show beautiful is that there's space for there's space for whoever you are and whatever you bring to this show to have your own interpretation of it. And I think that's uh, I think that's entirely the point. I think that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Well, and the thing is, I think some of the weird happenings or other things that are going on, I, it may, may or may, I mean, to me, always strike me as possibly these the sort of things you have in totalitarian regimes or whatnot, where, like, you know, tanks or APCs will go by in the dark of night, or, you know, Bob, you know, the apartment across the hallway, the door is kicked in and no one lives there anymore. And what happened to the person in the dead of the night? Well... And no one will ever talk about that person or admit that they ever existed. Yeah, it, well, if you know, uh, you know, if you know what's good for you, you don't ask that question. I mean, it's yeah. it, we're recording this, uh, a, you know, about a week or so after the anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Uh, you know, which if you want to look at the, as as one article I uh, read basically, but, you know, the largest act of forgettance in the history, you know, possibly in the history of totalitarian governments. You know, because that is they have tried to memory hole that as much as humanly possible in a way that, like, you know, well, I, I, let's say Orwell would be proud, but no, Orwell would just basically go, "I told you so," while continuing to spin in his grave. Yeah, at a particularly high rate. Yeah, but to that to that point, just the bunch of weird guys in glasses looking at a, a flashing white globe. Don't ask. Don't know if it's if you know it's good for you. You pretend you didn't see it. So, next morning, after number two has put a stop to this experiment, uh, his clock radio, I'm not sure, clock radio, the announcer, uh, so the voice says, rise and shine, life's for living, you know, and he wakes up, and he gets up, he uh, gets up, walks to the door, looks outside, turns around to his TV, sees number two watching him from his TV. <laughs> I believe he asks her, how did I sleep? <laughs> She so says to him, a little sardonic about the whole situation. A little bit, yeah. And she says to him, sound as a bell, have a nice day, feel free. Oh, I love that feel free is something that she would say over the surveillance TV. Well, yes, free. Feel, feel free. I mean, feel feel whatever you want. Feel free. Yes, we would like you to feel free. Feel feel free. Feel feel like your opinion matters. Feel like your vote counts. Feel all of these things. Feel free, Six. Feel free. Feel 
free. Uh, so the maid comes in, and per usual, it's a new maid. And mm-hmm. uh, she delivers this breakfast, brings breakfast in, and she's wearing this very elaborate fancy dress. So when the, and, and, the, and the mailman comes in and delivers six his invite to the village carnival. There, uh, and apparently they're already uh, gearing up for the actual carnival because we go to, like, the town square and we have music. They're waving their fancy umbrellas around. They're driving the golf carts around. They're wearing bizarro fancy sunglasses. No one seems to be having a whole lot of fun, but there's, you know, music and whatnot. Well, and um, that's one thing I noticed in some of these, in this, in a couple scenes with the crowd there, because you've got the music going on, and you've got the people marching around, and you've, there's cheering noise, you know, cheering, happy crowd noise coming from everywhere. Nobody, nobody in frame is cheering. Nobody in frame <laughs> is laughing. Nobody, I mean, all of, I mean, they're, they're arguing, you know, okay, they're, 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 they're waving they're, little flags, but they look deeply uninterested. Yeah, they're, in what they're, they're spitting doing. their umbrellas around. So, you know, you've got people, there are folks with the, uh, you know, with Trump, with, with musical instruments in there that I guess might match the music soundtrack, but literally no, you know, there's all this happy cheering noise, you know, all this happy cheering laughing crowd noise coming, and once you start to look, absolutely nobody in camera is making that noise. So, um, oh, other bit six. I liked um, when, you know, the, the postman shows up and asks for number six to sign for his oh, you need to sign for your, your letter, your number six, and number six just, you know, takes the letter, closes the door, doesn't sign anything, doesn't acknowledge the number at all, just and and proceeds on, but uh, exactly. it, it, those little I always like those little touches throughout where you know everybody you know he doesn't really he he never uses the number. So number six is watching. He's got his usual you know sour look in his face. He's petting a black cat, and uh, number two approaches him, and they're trading barbs. They're trading, you know, they're trading um, not insults exactly, but they're they're sparring. Number two suggests that maybe he should find himself a nice girl. He gestures. She gestures at uh, a table of of young ladies wearing matching clothing, and six turns them down and says, "What about that one over there?" Two says, "Well, no, well, no, no, not her." We find out that um, that this that the that the girl six gestures at her number is number two forty is his observer. And he walks over to her and he starts uh starts talking to her in a very six ish kind of way, and it makes me wonder a little bit if. Uh, if this is actually his idea of flirting, like even if he was, like even if he wasn't in the village, would he flirt? <laughs> I'm sorry, this is horrible. Even if he wasn't in the village, would, is this how he would flirt with somebody? Does he walk up to somebody? Who are you working for? I mean, well, I mean, okay. If that is, if that's not how he flirted before he got to the village, that's I'm pretty much how you have to flirt in the village. Let's let's you know. Yeah, if that's, if that's not already his technique, that's probably how he's. <laughs> That's how he does it now. So she flees, right? Like, well, kind of like you would, I guess. Well, and, you know, uh, she, she and she reports the she, she kind of repeats back the you know the, the the stock answers about well you know questions are a burden to others answers are, you know answers are prisons for oneself. Um, but she's you know, and again, it's always hard to tell here is you know because we've had some masterful you know masterful deceivers in playing their parts in the episodes there. I was like, is she actually flustered and upset, or is she playing flustered and upset as part of some larger game? You never, you can never tell with this show. Yeah, you can never tell, which is the fun, which is all the, which is all the fun. Six tries to follow the Observer into Town Hall, but he's stopped by uh, some kind of force field. He tries to enter the Town Hall, and there's a kind of electrical sound effect. He tries oh. to enter, he's stopped. Well, there's a rover initially. So initially, the rover shows up, and I'm like, "Is the rover chasing her off?" And then it becomes apparent the rover is kind of there to 
prevent number six from closing the distance on 240, I think. But then the rover just kind of goes away, so it only needed to delay him until she got to town hall. Yeah, yeah, but that was just kind of like the you know, rover shows him, like, is, you know, did she do something she wouldn't do, or number six do something mm-hmm. he wouldn't do? You know, again, there, there's always those those questions that, you know, right. I think I think my read is the rover was there to, you know, buy 240 room to escape. Mm-hmm. 240, you see her in the control center for a moment. She's she's part of the machinery of the village, definitely. Now, uh, Six uh, runs across the black cat again. Uh, we find him uh, back in his apartment. Uh, the maid finds number six in the apartment with the black cat. She's kind of put out by this. You know, he's not allowed to keep animals. We're not allowed to keep animals, and she kind of she kind of storms out. Well, she, she goes to she goes to remove the the cat, and number six is like, "Be careful, you might get scratched." Mm-hmm. And he may, you know, and what he says is Maybe just referring to the cat or himself. Yeah, he basically where the scratches are going to come from is left to light. I mean, almost. I mean, that was you know, uh, that you know, it's 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 a level of just sort of general offhanded menace that you know, Sean Connery would you know Sean Connery's Bond would be proud of. Yeah. And that's that's something worth bringing up too. Uh, McGowan's presence as six, he's not. How to put this? He's not Roger. He's actually a lot. He actually is. It's my understanding he turned down Bond. Oh wow. at, some point, at some point he was asked, but he was um, a, a, apparently kind of religious and didn't like you know all the sex and the murder. So um, he actually turned down Bond. But you know you, you make you make a good point in this scene. You make a good point in this scene in that he's. He's genuinely kind of dangerous when he wants to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roger, I don't, I don't think Roger, you, you, a presence like that of Roger, I do not believe would have worked as well in The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. He's actually not a million miles away from Sean. Mm. No, no. Yeah, you know, well, I think I think the, in the the election episode, I mean, he can, I mean, absolutely, just you know, the general range, the general menace, you know, he he, mm-hmm. he can project, you know, just. With with an expression or just his body language is just you know again I mean he's a, he's an amazing actor. You would get some like, kind of like your traditional sick stuff right here. He like tries to put a pillow over the two way TV, and we get that same kind of electrical sound effect. Uh, someone uh, puts flowers in his wind in the, his windowsill flower box, and he shouts at them. He shouts at them. Suppose I don't want any flowers. Then the guy says, "It's carnival. Everybody's getting flowers." I'm like, isn't that just, uh, for me, that's kind of a, and I know this is kind of silly, but that's almost kind of a quintessential six moment. Mm-hmm. Suppose I don't want any flowers. Like, um, yeah, I like that he's just kind of a jerk to everybody because he just wants something to be different to show that yeah. he's not stuck well, here and doing exactly what they want. Right. Well, also to the larger point of, you know, well, it's, it's carnival. Everyone gets flowers. It's like the old saying, basically, come the revolution, comrade. There will be strawberries and cream for everyone. And it's like, yes. well, what if I don't like strawberries and cream? Come the revolution, you will like you strawberries and cream. <laughs> yeah. the strawberries and cream. So he, uh, we cut to later, and there's another maid in there who's trying to get him to drink some tea. Or I assume it's tea, and he doesn't want to drink his tea. And he's kind of like a. In this scene, it's a little. I mean, bit I'm assuming boring. there's some tea in there with all the drugs. So she says, uh, she she says, uh, drink it while it's hot. It's good for you. He mutters <laughs> under his breath, "It's good for somebody." Now I think so is it know. this point, or uh, this is the point where he starts ranting about well, you know, he, wh- where does? No, actually, it's a little bit earlier. He kind of when he chases off the maid, 
after with the cat, you know, after he's well, he's feeding the cat, and she runs off. He's like, you know, something about just, you know, you know, where does it all come from? You know, the milk, the ice cream, you know, the stuff in the cupboards. Did they bring it in at night? Because he never apparently the implication he never sees anyone stock his house. He never sees anyone. He's never been awake at night. He thinks they may be drug people or something. I guess. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, which is kind of that kind of ties leads into him, I think, not taking his nightcap slash drug right. cocktail. Um, oh, wait, 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 what? You think they drug people in the village? Stay apparently, hypnotize them with their lamps, which we get in just a minute. Yeah, I think we've seen that once before. I think in an earlier episode yeah. where the the the, la- the the lamp over the chair like lowers down and goes wom wom wom. But yeah, so they, they make a point about you know where basically you know he you never see the stuff coming in or out or you know presumably just the stuff shows up where does it come from you, you never see never see it then we get the potatoes the aspirin so uh we catch him after dark the village after dark we catch him pacing his dark apartment doors locked the cat's on his bed he doesn't want to disturb the cat right so he kind of sits down in a chair in his apartment and then the lamp above the chair starts flashing like you said the lamp tries to tell him to sleep he gets up, still kind of like a caged animal. He gets out. He gets out at night. Mm-hmm. We cut to um, we cut to number two. She's watching him, and uh, she's petting the black cat. She's petting the black cat, uh, and she's not worried about it. She's not worried about him getting it out. She says, "Don't worry about it. It'll just test our efficiency, right?" So um, six heads down to the beach. Uh, a rover keeps pace with him on the beach a little while. After a while running down the beach, he just kind of falls to his knees, I assume because he's tired, and the rover retreats. Um, Six falls asleep on the beach. Number two isn't worried. She says eventually he'll return to his room because it's the only place he can go back to, right? Mm -hmm. Except that he doesn't. He he actually sleeps on the beach. Then he wakes up, and he finds a body. He finds a dead body on the beach washed up on the shore. Uh, he, he searches. He, he searches the body like a good spy does. And he finds a wallet, and it's got some pictures in it—a picture of a man and a woman. Um, and he's got a little miniature radio that actually still works because he turns it on, and you can hear the static. It's still got charged. It still works. Now, one Thanks. question I had about the picture, and I couldn't—I I meant to—I meant to go back and uh, like still frame it and such. I couldn't tell. Was the woman in the photo supposed to be two forty or not? I was a little. I could not, not really sure. tell, uh, and I meant to. You later mentioned with someone that she apparently got close to who had just died, so it's possible that was the dead guy. I think it was. I think yeah. I, th- I think that's supposed to be two four. I think that's supposed to be two forty in the photographs, and that would ma- mm-hmm. it would match out with every with other events as they play out. But I mm-hmm. will have to admit I had a little trouble. I think just you know I had a little trouble placing the face. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of it's a small black and white photo, and I had a little trouble right. placing the face. So it's possible he knew that guy when they were out in the world, not just in the village. Possibly. He doesn't, he doesn't dress like that anymore. Or he doesn't dress like that on duty, which is an interesting right, right. question. Though, when, when are you off duty in the village? Okay, so there's a proclamation. This guy's uh, dressed in like, it looks like a colonial tricorner hat, right? Carnival. He says, proclaims in front of the entire village, there will be music. There'll be dancing and happiness. I order. Like you observed about that earlier scene, no one's actually looking super happy about this. Yeah, it, it's all yeah. Any yeah, they're at, and some of it might be some stock footage. I remember the weird little. They're not 
pixelated glasses because pixels were not really a thing, but the little square pattern glasses that remind me of the little ones you see people Photoshop in. Checker, the checkerboard glasses. Yeah, yeah. I, I, those. I, yeah. First of all, I saw those. I'm like, wait, what? They, you know, because I'm used to seeing those from the, the, the little, you know, the little glasses memes. So I was just like, wait, seriously? Six comes back to his apartment. Uh, the maid is now dressed like a normal maid. Uh, the maid's dressed normally. The cat's gone, and she says that uh, she. He asks, well, "Where's your dress?" And it says, "Well, she's got a special costume for later." Said that. Um, that his costume has actually arrived. And he says, well, don't I get to pick my own costume? And he says, we get to pick, your, we get to pick each other's costumes. It's a game, right? And he opens up the box where his costume has been delivered, and apparently it's his own suit, right? Mm-hmm. He says he's still himself. The maid says, and I quote, lucky you. <laughs> so after that, we cut back to uh, number two and the scientist. They're watching number six, with the radio. They know he's got the radio. And uh, she says, and, uh, and I kind of like this quote, she says, he's an individual, and they're always trying. <laughs> Which I, I like, and you can actually, I think, uh, understand that at, le- at least two different ways. Uh, oh, yes. they're, always tr- they're always trying in the sense that they're always getting on your nerves, they're always exasperating mm-hmm. you, they're very trying. Or the individuals always try that they're making an attempt. Individuals are always making an attempt to maintain their individuality. Uh, and I take a minute and discuss their work with poor Dutton, the guy whom they were, who was holding up the phone they were dictating his lines to. So they discuss the work with Dutton for a minute. Things ain't looking good for Dutton. Now Six goes out and finds a high point um, in the village uh, to, so he can listen to the radio and get a better signal. Uh, two and the Observer 240 join him. And it's kind of a it's kind of a confrontation, which I guess I guess at this point every conversation with six is kind of a confrontation, and who can blame him? And he <laughs> says, "I won't be a goldfish in a bowl," <laughs> so it's, which is also kind of a which is there's some irony there because like the like the text of the series in a way can be summed up with "I won't be a goldfish in a bowl." It's kind of a way to summarize the entire series, and that also gets more ironic because he's the star of the series, he's the producer of the series, he's the writer of a lot of it, he directs a couple of episodes, the whole thing is his show. He could not be more of a goldfish in a bowl. So there's a certain irony there, if you ask me. Six sneaks down to where the boats are. He gets a a life preserver and a length of rope, and a very, do-do-do-do, just stealing a life preserver, don't mind me. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, worth noting this point, I think number two collects the radio at this point mm-hmm. before she departs. Yeah. Uh, he sneaks down to the beach into the cave close to where he found that body. Mm-hmm. So he takes out the guy's wallet and he's got the life preserver and the rope in a plastic bag. And he kind of writes a note to whoever should find this. And he's basically putting a message in a bottle, except the bottle is not a bottle, it's a wallet. And instead of, uh, and he's attaching it to a dead guy, a life preserver. I think he puts his photo a, in as well. Yeah, puts his picture in there too. So he uh, puts his ID and he ties it to, and he ties it to a dead guy, puts it on a life preserver, throws him back out into the ocean, right? Which I got to, um, I, I got to say, I actually think is a pretty good idea, push come to shove. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the, you know, the life preserver will keep the body from sinking. And, you know, yeah. so that. I mean, it it's worth a shot. What's the yeah, worst that can happen? Of course, it's worth a shot. I mean, what else are they going to do to him? And he um, 
and he turns around. There's somebody watching him from a cave. And it's the guy from the phone, Roland Walter Dutton. Or Dutton is watching him from a cave. And um, Six and Dutton talk in the cave for a minute. And Dutton cops to, he cops to the fact that he said everything he did. He said he didn't know the, basically he said he didn't know the good stuff, the important stuff. That's what Six knows. Dutton admits that he told, he spilled, he told everything he knew. And he knows that what they're doing to them, that here in two or three days, I think he said, actually said 72 hours. Yeah, they don't believe him. They, they don't see, yeah, his dilemma is, they, he's told them everything he knows, but they don't believe that they've to, he's told them everything he knows, or right. that he's, you know, that he's what he's told them is the truth, and so he has 72 hours to reconsider before, well, I mean, there's an else in there. Yeah, there's an else in there. Yeah. Implied, he heavily. Knows, he knows he's going bye-bye. So we cut to a shot of number two standing on the beach, I think as the sun is setting. And Six confronts him, and she's dressed like Peter Pan. Uh, yeah, no, crucially, yeah, no, crucially, they've uh, during this exchange or during this exchange, they cut at one point. They don't they is where they cut to the command center, and two forty is trying to find him and can't find him, and calls in on the phone and says, "I can't We're find him." In the cage, yes. Yeah, and somebody else comes by. Um, and, you know, I think she's. You know, she calls that in, that and just shows up to complain at people a few times. I yeah, think. and so she says something like, "Well, that's not very professional." And she's like, "Well, <laughs> you know, uh, shall I look for number? I forget what number listens like." And this, the the person that complained that she wasn't being professional is like, "Oh, he's dead." Yeah, and I, you know, and she looks somewhat. Two forty looks something somewhat taken aback by this. So apparently, you know, in camera at least the. The watchers can't find number six. The, the exchange in the cave is presumably not known to them, at least through camera surveillance. Okay. It might actually be private. Now, the problem is always is like there's what the watch, those watchers know versus does number two have her own separate camera network? And because again, it's there's there's so many games going at so many levels, it it becomes almost exhausting sometimes. You're always looking over your shoulder, which is well, kind of the point here, but. And, now, in a, lot, in, a lot, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I think you can look at the prisoner as a as a distinct forerunner of a lot of today's storytelling. That there are so many shows you can look at, and who's betraying who, and who's watching who, and what's really going on, and who knows what when. It's like a in a in a way, I think you, I think I think you can definitely assume that most of the people, well, maybe not most, but a lot of the people making TV today have definitely studied this show. So number two is dressed, of all things, as Peter Pan. <laughs> yes. And they have a confrontation on the beach. She says to him, you're being hostile again. I'm like, again? Again. Like, when did he stop being hostile? <laughs> and, and also <laughs> worth, po- worth pointing out, initially when the, um, we, you know, we looked at his outfit, we thought it was, I thought it was the black suit he was wearing in the, uh, you know, in the opener, right? That he was, you know. But on the beach, it turns out it's a dinner jacket. He's in a tuxedo. You know, it's like bow tie, everything. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah, I can see you can. I mean, it's like, wow, he's number six in a tuxedo is trading barbs and witticisms with the nominal, you know, the 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 nominal head of the opera, you know, the head of the evil operation in the secret, you know, in the secret hidden lair. I'm like, this is now a James Bond movie, kind of, sort of, or at least, you know, it it, it has yeah. it's hitting it, it, from this point forward. It starts hitting on all of the tropes of the James Bond movies, as we will get to in just a moment. I, see, I, I, want, I wonder about that sometimes. Is he, 
is he paying lips or is McGoon? Because I think we can assume as a creative force that I wouldn't think anything much happened on this show without McGoon's approval. So it makes me wonder, uh, is he deliberately hitting the tropes? Is he paying lip? Well, no, he is deliberately hitting the tropes, but is he only paying lip service to them? Or is there some attempt to make this an actual action adventure program in addition to being an intellectual game? See, I think I think, a, I, I think in this one, like sometimes you do get you know fist fights and other you know action bits, and other times you basically have it's it's all a bit more cerebral and, and sneaking around. Um, it's totally fine because we like the cerebral and we like the sneaking around and we like the fist fights too. I just wonder is he engaging in part of this because it's is it lip service or is it is it lip service or is he actually invested in trying to entertain his audience in this sort of I don't want to say traditional, but this sort of. I mean, I think I, I think in this case they're basically. I mean, they're, I mean, I think in large chunks you have to look at the prisoner as, in some ways, it is subverting a lot of the these these the spy movie tropes, right? I mean, oh, it no is way. okay. So I, I think in this one, this is a deliberate decision. I mean, it's a tuxedo. It could have been, it could have been anything. They 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 chose a tuxedo, and I think this was basically we're going to play with uh, we're going to play with some of the tropes from some of the, you know from your your, your classic your, your Bond movies here your spy movies in general because it's not like Bond doesn't have an exclusive lock on it that this was this episode was when was this was sixty sixty seven is when this one aired so you know uh, so yeah they're definitely playing with them um, so and, and well this is kind of interesting though it's a tuxedo but it's a costume right. It's a costume. Well, it's, I always wonder that. That's, I mean, the, the British term is always fancy dress, which, you know, I, I think is really taken to mean costume. But I mean, that... oh, so that's funny that he gets a tuxedo, which is the what other people think of when they hear it's a fancy dress party. Uh, you're right. Well, I mean, fancy yeah, I mean, party. think of this case. I mean, he's. I mean, in this case, number two is right. dressed up as Peter Pan. He's dressed, you know, and number six is okay. He's dressed up as James Bond. Let's, let's... So, so number two is dressed up as Peter Pan. The the kid who never grows any older, even though she's distinctly quite a bit older than Six is, right? So she's the person that never grows up. And mm. he's wearing a tuxedo like the costumes they're wearing are all lies. They're not real. They're costumes, right? So you're no secret. So is it – So and they sent him that tuxedo to wear. So are we to take that as deliberate mocking of him? You're no secret agent. You're no real spy. You're no real hero. Are we to take it as a deliberate mocking of the image? I, um, possibly, or at the very least, I think there is, you know, just the subtle hint. Okay, okay, you know, he's dressed. Okay, for this episode, he's dressed up at James Bond. But if you've been paying attention for episode, four episodes in, you know, this many episodes in, this is not a James Bond adventure. This is not going to go the way you think it's going to. We're right. not going to go the way you think it's going to go. They trade barbs in the beach. Uh, you're being hostile again. Like he ever stopped being hostile. You can't be hostile again if you never stopped being hostile in the first place. Um, and then she says to him, um, if you insist on living in a dream, you may be taken for mad. And he says something to the fact that he likes his dream, right? So they, uh, and then we go on to Carnival, which is like a big fancy, tr- it's a ball, it's a party. Everybody's wearing costumes. I think I saw, yeah, all kinds of different stuff. Number two and number six, keep trading barbs at Carnival. And um, there's some there's a scene where Six and his Observer 240 dance together, although you get the impression again that neither one of them is really enjoying it. She well, she is vaguely trying to do some dance moves occasionally, but he's just sort of walking in a circle while asking her questions. 
And, I, and I'm still stuck with the impression that even if he's not in the village, this is how he flirts. <laughs> <laughs> and the complaining lady comes by at one point to tell them they're not dancing. Yeah. So it's like, you know what, if he, if he was in Lexington, he would go to Joseph Beth and walk around with his arms crossed and just ran around <laughs> asking him, well, who do you work for? Like, this is... Like, this well, is again, that's okay, this thing. I mean, this is essentially, he, he's, he's not, I mean, he, he's, uh, you, one way to re- take it is he's not playing the game here. It's basically just, I'm, I'm going to be, you know, I, I, I am not, he, he's, he's not taken in. He's not particularly sympathetic towards 240. He is basically just, you know, he's viewing her as she's a playing piece on the opposite, you know, and, you know, he's but like James Bond would totally still interrogate the henchwoman, but he would be dancing with her at the time. Yes. I, he does not even bother with the No, it, again, it gets back to what, you know, he's, it's, he's wearing a tuxedo at a fancy dress party. It's a costume. He, you know, right. he, this is not James Bond. This is, I'm basically going right. to just, you know, I, I am not here to play the game. I am merely here because I can't get out of this hellhole yet. And uh, 240 has one of my favorite lines. And an episode jam-packed with great lines. She has one of my favorites. Her treatments for people like you. Yeah, and I think Seriously. the one thing, yeah, the general, I mean... I, I'm considering putting that on a t-shirt, by the way. Well, and, and that's one thing. I mean, 240, I mean, in general, basically is just treat, you know, seems offended and flustered and by, you know, just uh, number six is continual, just not comporting well these are the rules and these ways you're supposed to act and you were just acts out at, you know acting out you know just 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 outside uh you know outside you know the way proper society is supposed to be ordered at ordered and structured and such and it's just like you you, you know you you can't you know the things you are you know, you can't do because well those are those, those are the rules <laughs> put you know note that you know in terms of what we're, when we get back to what the rules are society society here we have rules you're not following the rules so it's like his 240 is very very concerned with the rules the rules right she almost seems like she's about to cry every time he starts interrogating her about something and she's just like but that would be against the rules it seems to actually like she's commit like she's not paying she's not paying lip service to what she does she's invested in the system yeah, I'm not sure two is even that invested in the system, but two forty is. It's like two. I feel like two is playing a game in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like she's a. She is an unusually gleeful two. She's enjoy. She enjoys what she does. Mm-hmm. She's not invested. She's part of, of the system, if you will. She's enjoying it. She's there's a there's a playful quality to her. Mm-hmm. It's a playful quality to her that I I genuinely kind of like. Admittedly, we're only uh, we're we're technically only a few episodes into our our, our prisoner epic here, but so far she's a uh, she is an early favor for my favorite number two, both because of the personal connection she reminds me of somebody that was important to me, and because I think she plays the part with a genuine glee. But two forty, I mean, does two believe she believes? But maybe she's past the point of that being her motivator. Two forty mm-hmm. believes. Whatever it is their mission is, whatever they're doing, whatever their rules are, 240 is invested in them. Six sneaks out of the fancy dress ball, puts on a lab coat and some glasses like he's in disguise, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of think to myself... So again, that's a very James Bond thing to do. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I mean, this is very much... I'm now, I am now putting on a quickie disguise to sneak into the villain's lair to find things. Yeah. So now we're back to... Now we're sort of back to the tropes, Right. Now we're doing what, um, should I say this? Now 
we're playing with the tropes again. We're doing what uh, spy movies are supposed to do, right? Again, I'm sort of left with, is he is he just paying lip service to the tropes? Does he want to actually make it a little bit of a spy show instead of being instead of being something that's constantly oblique, mm-hmm. that's constantly open to interpretation? Do we want some actual elements of a spy show? Was he forced to put those in there? I mean, I, I, mean, I, th- I mean, I think they're deliberately in there. I mean, I don't think, okay, I don't think anybody forced anybody to put anything uh, on the film on this one. This is very much, I mean, unless they wanted Patrick McGowan basically storming into their office and, you know, I mean, Love I... The opening sequence. Yeah, so I mean, I think very much everything that's on the you know, film here, you know, frame is basically what they wanted to put on there, or at least what they were able to do within the constraints of what they had, you know, access to. So I think they're very much playing with the tropes. They're showing you, you know, we're basically you've got six in a tuxedo now. He's wearing a lab coat and a set of sunglasses or a set of you know eyeglasses to try to look around and see what he can you know sneak into something. Um, so yeah, they're basically they're going through all of the various little tropes you see in a James Bond movie, a spy movie. Here, the audience is thinking, well. Well, you know, he's going to find something. He's going to do something. He's going to accomplish his mission. He's going to find some sort of piece of, you know, evidence and basically use that against them or whatnot. And again, that's not quite how the show works. But I think this is part of that whole, you know, every one of these. Ep- I mean, if this was just a regular show, just you know, you, you, you this would not play out this way. You know, you basically, the, you know, if, if you were watching an episode of Danger Man, which you cannot, it it is impossible to entirely separate. You can't assume somebody's coming to the prisoner, not at least have some familiarity with Danger Man or its ilk, right? It's so, time. it's time. Yeah. So, so somebody, somebody probably was not turning on Danger Man. I'm sorry. Somebody was probably not turning on the prisoner in '67, unaware of Patrick McGowan's previous spy show. Right, and other spy shows out there like that. So you have certain there's certain expectations you 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 have in a spy movie, and you know this is again. I think they're they're. I don't. I, I think they're. They are putting them out there in order to subvert them, uh, in in order to basically, you know, just here's you know here you know here's the path you're expecting to go down to. Now we're not going down that path, and the the, the dissonance between what you want versus what you get out of reality is, I think, they're very much trying to evoke that sort of feel. I mean, again, you know, look at the news lately, right? You, you're just like, yeah, okay, that's um, well, that sucks, and that sucks, and that sucks, and that sucks, because you know. It's. I mean, look at the past three years, for Pete's sake. This is the reason we like movies is they things don't turn out in movies like they do in the real world. At least you know the nice little you know the stuff we go to for entertainment. You know, um, or at least like I, you know if I, I would like to just see you know a story beginning, middle, and end, and there's at least something resembling a happy ending, or at least you know an, an ending that gives leaves you some sense of closure rather than this gnawing emptiness and existential dread. This is not that kind of show. You're 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 not going to get community answers. You are going to be left with questions about the system. And if you start connecting the dots between what they're showing versus looking around the way governments and agencies act, you know the whole point is to get you. You know, why does the You know, does the system care about you? No. Why does the system do does what it does? Well, because that's what the system does. I mean, it's it's very much in that milieu. And I think it's, this is an episode used. You know, they're they're invoking those tropes to get the audience to, you know, think about, well, how that does that really play out in real life versus in the movies? Well, I, I do want to say about the, uh, so you see, you make an actual cogent, uh, intelligent point, And I say, does Six really think the lab coat and the glasses are going to fool anybody? <laughs> you, see, you make this very cogent, intelligent point, And I'm like, uh, over here, like the kid in the back of the class, uh, 
at this point, does he think anybody on that in the village doesn't know who number six is? Um, well, it's, 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 over the tuxedo so that the bow tie is still visible. So yeah, um, an old lady in a lab coat comes out and slips him a termination order that he needs to deliver to number two promptly. So then we find this old lady. Is she pretending not to know six, or is she like the one person buried in her in her in her in her rat hole in the village that doesn't actually know who six is? It it seems un, it seems too much to be a coincidence in the village that she popped out of that room to hand him the termination notice. So, yeah. No, that's true. I mean, by the same token, I mean, we see this cut both ways because sometimes, you know, number six is able to get one over on them now, uh, or at least, you know, eke out something, a a small, if not victory, at least. Well, they they didn't quite, um, you know, not everything is entirely under the village's control within the village. And and we see that cut both ways where people don't know who number six is because they're new or, you know, nobody wants to admit they know anything. Uh, and that's that's kind of you know, and again, you get into a telltale stage where people may know stuff, but whether they act on it or well, you know, this person looks like they're supposed to be here, and I'm not going to I'm not going to ask questions about what's going on or what should or shouldn't be done because if you know that's asking questions is a thing you're not supposed to do, unless you're in these you know you know specifically empowered to ask questions kind of department. Actually, I kind of proceed from the assumption at this point that everything is under the village's control. I. And if that- in the in the end, at the end of every episode, it feels like the lesson we learn over and over again is that yes, everything was at every moment, every interaction, every interchange was actually actually was planned. That we actually knew who everybody was and what was going with everybody the whole time. I see. I think so. I, I think there are some episodes like that where yes, you know, the, the reveal is okay. Yeah, that, that this was all just a big giant thing. We were just basically playing with you. But by the same token, I mean, I think. And maybe maybe not this episode, but there are some where that that doesn't quite pan out that way. And the thing about totalitarian states is they can't ever admit that anything isn't under their control. They you know, so even if something isn't, they will say that well no, of course that was according to our plan. It's like that was all according to the plan. Right. I mean when you're basically when they're, they're sweating you in a room and the guy walks in and has a big giant binder and walks in and you know has your name on it and basically is flipping through flipping through this giant stuff binder. Maybe all those pages are blank. Maybe it's he's trying to figure out what his lunch order is, you know. Mm-hmm. But I mean, part of the way totalitarian states work is by convincing everybody that the state is control of everything and nothing is outside of their purview. Nothing is outside of their view, and you know they, you know, there is no, there is no one. You are the only one that basically, you know, is dissenting or is, is dissatisfied with things. That's why it's very important that. You know, in totalitarian states, the election turnout is ninety nine point percent, and you know ninety nine point nine 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 percent, and you know, glorious leader got ninety nine point nine 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 percent of all the votes possible because there is, you know, there no one would cast a vote against glorious leader. So, yeah, how much of that is the village totally has everything under control, and the village pretend, you know, is going to put forward is always going to say it has everything under control. Mm, again, that varies from episode to episode, writer to writer. Of course, we see. Of course, the village is a bit more controlled than your standard country. Whether we see in this episode both that they have ridiculous surveillance camera angles, like when uh, Six tries to use his radio in his apartment, he has he's like goes over to a place where presumably you can't see it through his body, and two forty just switches to a different angle on the camera, but then later it turns out, okay, the cave where he takes the dead guy, no one can see in there. Okay. Maybe it's the same as the beer cave. 
So to, so to, to oh, I think it is. Oh, I think it is the same set. I think it's the yeah, same yeah, interest yeah, yeah. set, definitely. Is that actually the secret drinking cave? I don't remember. Yes, yeah, the secret I, drinking cave. Right. I think it is the same set interest. I think that might that might have been on a soundstage. I think there's one right, bit where right. they're doing a scene with the cat, and I think it's very it's kind of clearly a backdrop through the archway, possibly mm. because working with animals outdoors mm. is particularly cats right. is maybe a thing you want to try to avoid if you want to have all of your hair left at the end of the day as a filmmaker. The, that is interesting. Uh, so the fact that they don't have him in the cave means that they do not, in fact, control absolutely everything. Well, if they controlled everything from beginning, middle, and well, and, and that's the thing. It kind of you know how much they're in control varies from episode to episode. In some cases, the entire point, and I think this is one where it's the fact that number six keeps resisting is the, the, that is the only takeaway. It's not that he's going to succeed. In fact, I think in this one, arguably, he's not. When he does not succeed, he is not nearly as put out as, say, at the end of the election episode, that he does not mm-hmm. succeed. Um, but, you know, it's rather the point. This is just, it, it is a long, it, this is going to be a long and drawn out thing with no particular end. There's not, a, there's not a clear end point you can put a line on. You just have to keep trying to resist and keep trying to find ways to toss sand in the gears, even if you can't see what that end game looks like. So in a way, he he doesn't win by getting off the island. I don't even know. If it's not, I don't even know if canonically the village is supposed to be on an island. But he doesn't win by getting out of the village. He wins by not stopping. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the village. Arguably, look at the village. You know, as system of control. I mean, you're you're never out of the village. There, there's always system of control. There's always society telling you, well, these are the rules. You need to follow those, and you're just a bad, antisocial, unsocial individual if you don't follow the rules. So you, you never get out of that. There's simply larger and larger and larger villages. The question is in terms of how, whether you decide to conform to that setup or decide not to. I mean, that, or at least that's certainly, I think, one way to, to look at the series as a whole. And again, mm-hmm. you, you, when we get to blow up, it's like, there are a lot of different ways to interpret this, some of which involve drugs. <laughs> which is... Well, Most yeah, of which involve uh, drugs, I think. Yeah, yeah. So he... Uh, so he explores a little bit. He finds a secret room, a file cabinet upon file cabinet. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly the file cabinets from the opening titles. I'm not sure. And he explores a little bit. He finds another room. Uh, I guess the village morgue. Where you have the cabinets, the, the drawers you pull out that have uh, bodies in them. And he mm-hmm. finds in one of them the man from the beach. The one he put back in the water with the message in the bottle. He's been thwarted. And uh, two... Number two, and the black cat find him. Find, and she she claims that the cat works for her. <laughs> and it's uh, very ruthless, very efficient. The point of being ruthless. ruthless. So they return, and the, the the people were promised a cabaret for entertainment. It turns out the cabaret is six. Mm-hmm. And specifically, he's being put on trial for having a radio. Yes, but but the entertainment is number six. By cabaret, we mean show trial. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, also, he she explains oh, when they're in the morgue, not only did they retrieve the body, they're going to alter it to look like six so that to the outside world, he will be dead, and he helpfully put his own picture in the wallet. So, uh, Which is, again, well. and, and again, that's, that's you know, that, that is kind of meant as a dig, but also the same token, well, sure, right. be, but you're, you could have, you have how many pictures of him? You could have right. done that easily enough to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, it, so it's, it's, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Right. Okay. 
point this you know uh, this you know, match point to you for the you know this type of route. But it's kind of you know it's kind of that simple you know that that continual. Well, no, no, no. We are all in control, and everything you do furthers our ends. Even though it's like, well, even a moment of thought, it's like, well, they could have done that anyway. It doesn't matter. You know, they're yeah. I, it, you know, again, the, the the continual where the you know, number two is always try, you know, always 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 trying to grind down number six, and he just you know keeps poking back. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I may come down on that as being one of the core messages of the series. It's not even so much that you win or lose, that you win by not, you win, if you will, by not losing. Just keep standing up, throw sand in the gears, keep being you, don't let the bastards grind you down, over and over again. So we have the show trial, he's being a, it's not so much having the radio, it's that having the radio is a breach of the rules. So mm-hmm. the prosecutor is 240, his observer, Defense is actually number two. We have three judges, uh, one of which is our scientist who is dressed up as Napoleon, uh, one of which is the guy that made the proclamation for Carnival, who is, I think, dressed like a Caesar, maybe? Caesar or Caligula, take your pick. <laughs> one of the a little column A, a little column B. And then we have uh, the maid, who I think is dressed as Elizabeth. Elizabeth first. Yes. Elizabeth the first. Yes, who I I have trouble not seeing as the the crazy Elizabeth first from Blackadder two, but that's my own personal problem. That's, and that's fine though. That's fine. <laughs> so uh, they put him on trial, and uh, he wants to call a character witness. Well, crucially, and this is the point. Back to the rules. He will, you know, they they talk about how he's violating the rules, and at one point during this, he says, "What are the rules?" Hmm. No one actually bothers producing a copy of them or explaining, which again gets back to you know, there's all those rules and system of control, but are they written down? No. Are they particularly ones you can you know? Not really. They're 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 the rules. They exist to tell you what to do. And well they're not really binding on other well, they're not really binding on, you know, the organization or society as a whole, but they're definitely binding on you today, right now, <laughs> because you broke the rules. Well what are the rules? Well that's not important that you broke them. That that's what's important here. You know, again, just yeah, he does ask, are these rules actually written down anywhere? Not that, not that they're produced. We asked for a character witness. He asked specifically for his friend Dutton. Yeah, and so I, I think, as I recall, basically, like essentially, number two throws number six to the wolves. I mean, throws, you know, basically throws it. You know, basically begs for the court's mercy because he's new. Mm-hmm. Now she doesn't seem particularly concerned or you know worried that he's going to get mauled or chewed up or anything else. This is again just. Again, this is basically, I think, the state basically, you know, it's the state, you know, basically, you you know, you're, you're of course guilty. You're, of course, you know, basically it's just a question of, you know, that is, you know, this isn't even a matter of presumption of innocence or anything else. You are, of course, guilty. That's just simply beyond, you know, doubt because you wouldn't be here otherwise. You know, the question is really what is the state going to do to you? Well, in this case, the state is going to find him guilty and sentence him to death. Mm-hmm. Although there's the matter of Dutton. Uh, he wants Dutton as his character witness. Mm-hmm. They produce Dutton. Dutton is the wearing court. a gesture costume. He's wearing a court gesture costume. Mm-hmm. And judging by the look in his face and the fact that he's no longer able to speak, seems like Dutton's gone bye-bye. Mm-hmm. And also, he has a stick with a little white balloon on the end. Oh, I love that. Which was he's got a little toy rover on his little scepter. I did not notice that. That's perfect. Yeah, so Dutton did not even get his 72 hours, it looks like. No, and he's not dead. He's just not Dutton anymore. He's not, well, that, well, that was what he. Well, that's what he said in the cave, wasn't it? That right. Roland Walter Dutton will cease to exist. Yep. 
the hat. Mm-hmm. And the uh, court finds him guilty, sentences death, and before you know it, uh, Six is being chased through the hallways by all these lunatics in their costumes. Oh, well, then, yeah, th- no, there's a great scene, because basically he just sort of walks out of there, you know, says the sentence will be carried out by the community or something to that effect, and, you know, number Six just walks down the hallway, which has little, you know, I, that's what I noticed, the little banners running at periodic intervals down the hallway have, a, you know, a little, you know, domino little mask on them. Mask yeah, on, yeah. The, you know, the little mask you kind of hold on sticks there. Nurse is just walking down there, his tuxedo, past those masks, and everybody behind them, and then about, he gets about partway down there, and then the, everybody, the, the, the party starts screaming and runs after him, apparently intent ripping him limb from limb. Yeah. And if that's not kind of on the nose vis-a-vis the show's general message, that the individual is, like, at the whim of society. Like, in this case, the individual is literally going to be torn limb from limb by society. So well, that's maybe a little on the nose. Well, I mean, essentially, I mean, I mean, you know, the state is saying, well, this person needs to be eliminated, and they finally realize, you know, they, they're, 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 they're the ones who need to do it. They, they you know, the state mm-hmm. isn't going to do it. They're, they're, I mean, in a sense, it's basically everybody is complicit in this. Carry out is what they said. And, yeah. Yeah, weirdly, they let him walk out the room, and then as soon as he starts running, everyone just turns into a screaming mob. Yeah. So he runs back through. Uh, he goes back to the, the records room, room the morgue. Uh, he explores the morgue and finds a trap door. In the floor, which was there to begin with, and I just thought that was some detail of the room they borrowed for you know they borrowed or built that set around there. It was actually it was, it was Chekhov's trap door. Basically, yeah, Chekhov's trap door. He escapes through there, back upstairs, this sort of very lavish drawing room kind of set, which has the t- so one one detail when the the older lady when he was in there earlier, uh, looking around in the lab coat, and this the older lady comes out and. And this is a you know, priority message for number two. There's kind of this teletype noise coming from the room, and you, you can't, it's dark. You can't really see the reading. This is obviously some sort of signals. You know, this is the code room or whatever. You can hear teletype printer, you know, right. printers of some kind. You know, going in the background or whatnot. So that's purely the message center or whatnot. So this elaborate Elizabethan Victorian whatever drawing room. You, you know, it's in there, but it's you can hear that noise coming from it. Right. And there's like a lady's changing screen, which he goes up and yanks out of the way, and there's just a teletype machine there. She proceeds to try to wreck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he pulls a bunch of... being hyped on it, but presumably that's where people get their orders from, presumably number one. All right, so yeah, he rips all the wires out, the noise stops or whatnot, and then yeah. I believe that's when number two and 240 appear? I think so, yeah. They, uh, they enter... Um... This is where we find out that uh, they she, two tells six that he's already dead in that box. Mm-hmm. They're not going to try to rip him limb for limb because they've already altered that guy to look like him, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he looks at her with that kind of six. He'll never win, right? Mm-hmm. And she says to him, "Very uncomfortable for you." Ha 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 ha! Then giant head slam the end. Well, I think yeah, it's basically that he says he's yeah he says he's never going to give in, and then the teletype starts going again. The one he you know ripped all the guts out of, then starts going chattering away. Right. You know, despite him obviously having ripped everything, you know, all the, the the wiring out of it, it you know it starts chattering up again, and as if he you know barely unperturbed by being beaten on and having all the cabling pulled out, and then she says, "Then how very uncomfortable for you, old chap." You know, I mean, it basically the, the the wheels of the system keep grinding on. It's it's not, 
and, and he's going to get ground under there. Right? Yeah, but it's it's kind of like you know, and you see, you know, again, it's like so you know, you're kind of left with the well, what did he accomplish? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're looking for a conventional narrative, well, I'm sure you came away with this probably super unsatisfied because there wasn't even so much as a punch uh, thrown in this one. But mm-hmm. you know, I guess you know, to my mind, if you look at it from it's about number six, just the the point is he keeps pushing back against the system, even though he probably knows on some level it's going to, you know, it's going to keep coming at him. It's going, it's, you know, he's not going to just bring it all down in burning flames. That is, I think, the point. I'm not sure about that. At this point, I'm I'm pretty sure his goal is to bring it down. Oh, if he could, yes. I think if he could, I think he's going to keep trying, but I, I, I guess, I don't know. I think, I mean, to the larger point, he's going to keep doing that and I guess in this one he seems somewhat less utterly gutted that uh, you know that that things did not go you know think you know things did not pan out here compared to, again compared to the absolute just bleak exp- you know almost destroyed expression at the end of the election episode. So are we uh, on this particular episode? Are we thumbs up or are we thumbs down? But I'm still not sure what to make of the prisoner. This being my first viewing. I, I th- oh, I think it. Uh, I, I think you cut off. I think uh, you'd be able to take that from the top. Get I'm get sorry. Uh, thumbs up. But I am still not sure what to make of the prisoner as a whole or each individual episode. This being my first run through of viewing it. I think that's entirely fair. I think. I mean. I. I. I am. I am. I am thumbs up on this one. It was. You know. I. I. Had, it was a lot. Like I said. It. You know. I, I mean, it was, I think, a lot, this one was, I think, a lot more about just subverting some of those tropes in a way that I think some of the early episodes are, you know, getting across to the audience, this is not your regular show. If you're expecting to get out at the end of this one or a giant fireball or explosion or a gunfight, this is not what you're, you're probably not going to get that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, it's, it's as much, this was very much about the byplay between number two Number you know two four number two forty and and number six, you know just about that, you know, who's playing who, what what's you know, what what it's less about what's going on, what even the whole point of the carnival was, but just you know mm-hmm. more just a a rumination on systems of control and society, which I think that I, I would also say as they say this is kind of the prisoner in a nutshell. But I think that's I was gonna I was gonna say. That if there's such a thing as a generic episode of The Prisoner, mm-hmm. it's this. All the basic themes, the basic styles. I'm going to say thumbs up with the caveat that I think it's not quite the sum of its parts. I don't know that this particular episode, as I was watching it, I'm thinking this is just about as basic a Prisoner episode as you can get, right? Well, you, you, and to, your, to your point, it's the prisoner, prisoner in a nutshell in a lot of ways. Although there's, I think it hits a lot of the themes. I think it hits them in very interesting ways. I think it's well made, but in the end, I'm just kind of like um, there are better episodes in the run of the series. I mean, I think it. I don't. It's probably not the strongest episode. Uh, I mean, it's. It, this is not to say it's bad. I mean, I think it's. It's not at all. I mean, I think there are some ones that are that are stronger, but, but you know, I think there are. The things to appreciate to this one for me were more about the particular performance, you know, the performances, and again, the way, the fact that you know, I saw him in the tuxedo, I was like, okay, this is going, yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, we are now, we are playing with James Bond territory just a little bit here, 
uh, and we're I was curious, you know, we're going to hit all of these, but in a kind of a prisoner way. So I, I, I kind of appreciate it for that. But yeah, I think there are there. Are, I think I mean, you should see it. I'm not saying skip it. It's not a weak episode. No, there are ones no, that, no, no, no. That, no, 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 you know, that yeah, there are. I think there are, you know, there are there are ones that I think have a stronger beginning, middle and end and, you know, different development. The, the, you know, this one, there's not a, there, there is not a lot of through line. There's not like a, a, a conventional beginning, middle end narrative here. Um, you know, in terms of a, a complete story that you compared to some of the mm-hmm. one. Um, so I don't know that it makes it a bad episode. It just makes it a somewhat, uh, somewhat different one. This is your agents of cool signing off. I am your grunt. Uh, if you want to email us and if you want to, please do by all means, uh, we may read your emails on a future broadcast. I am grumpy number six, all lowercase, all letters at agentsof.cool. Uh, I am Mrs. Peel, M R S P E E L, all lowercase, no period at agentsof.cool. And I am Ray at agentsof.cool. Excellent. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will return.